0: Welcome to Off-Trail Learning. This is Blake Bowles. If you don't go to regular high school, if you don't go to middle school, if you decide not to go into college the same time everyone else is going, will it be difficult to find a community, to find your tribe, to find your people? Uh, There's different answers to this question, and I think that we tend to downplay how difficult it is. To find friends, to find good connections, to find a a warm community. And the sad reality about being a young person is that if you take an alternative path through education, you have an uphill battle as far as social life goes. Because school and college have a virtual monopoly on where all the young people hang out. Uh, I've run into a lot of unschoolers who actually have really great social lives. And there are certain communities that I've noticed out there in the U.S., like in Kansas City, Missouri, or Asheville, North Carolina, or Chicago, where there are really robust uh, communities. And especially as a teenager, there's a lot more homeschoolers when, when you're younger because it's simpler then. But in the teenage years, more people tend to return to high school And so it becomes more difficult to find friends right at the time when you really want and need friends. And so I do think it's a real challenge. and It's a real issue for a lot of young people who are taking alternative paths. And that's why not back to school camp is so special and important. Uh, Not back to school camp is the preeminent summer camp for teenage unschoolers. They host sessions in Oregon and Vermont each year during the back-to-school time periods, so August and September leading into October a little bit. And it's pretty much the only camp like it. There are a few others out there, but Not Back to School camp is definitely the biggest and the longest running, and it has 21 years under its belt. And what I've witnessed is that Not Back to School camp has a way of transforming the young people who go there, even if it's only for a week. Uh, Lifelong friendships are built there. There's been a number of campers who have gotten married and had kids. And it's just a community that is unlike any other that I've experienced. It doesn't just end when the camp ends. It continues, you know, usually on Facebook or Skype or email. But sometimes in face-to-face meetings and gatherings and train trips across the country and international rendezvous. It's a really robust community and it's something that a lot of young people with whom I've worked depend upon to be their, their number one community outlet, to be their place for finding their really close friends and the people who understand them. And this is why Not Back to School Camp is a place that I've decided to continue being involved with for 11 years now. Back when I was in college getting introduced to alternative education and devouring all the books that I could find on Amazon, I found the Teenage Liberation Handbook, written by Grace Llewellyn, who is also the director, not back to School camp, and the Teenage Liberation Handbook, which was written for teenagers directly, and, and that influenced my later writing directly for teenagers. Uh, Even though I was 20, I was totally blown away by the Teenage Liberation Handbook. And I know many other adults who have had similar experiences. And so I just developed an immediate, deep respect for Grace and for her ideas. And then in the back of the book, there's a little one-page ad for Not Back to School Camp, the summer camp that Grace started to bring together this community of teenage unschoolers because nothing like that existed yet. There was little... You might get a little, like, homeschool camp out here and a a park day there and a conference there, but nothing really like not back to school camp existed for teenagers taking self-directed paths. So, I read about not back to school camp, and I was already signed up to work at my uh, other, the other summer camp that's important to me, Deer Crossing Camp, where I went as a kid. And so I knew that I loved working at summer camps, and I thought, well... This one starts right after the, the, the the first summer camp ends, so I could actually do both summer camps if I so please. I was very excited about that prospect, and so I wrote Grace an email when I was twenty, and I said, "Hey, I'm a summer camp guy. I uh, really love uh, your ideas. I'm actually designing my own major to study alternative education, and I just thought, man, I'm a, I'm definitely gonna get hired at this camp. I'm like made for this. And so I wait." I wait, I wait, and I never hear back from Grace. I just never get a response back. (laughs) And a few years later, after I'd worked at Deer Crossing Camp a bit more and worked in outdoor education, I I wrote her another email and I said, hey, I'd still love to work at your camp. P.S. You never wrote me back the the first time I emailed you. (laughs) So she wrote me back this time. She said, I'm sorry for never writing you back. And uh, please come work at a session of camp in Oregon. And that was 2006. And going there, I just witnessed this amazing community, this amazing uh, sense of connection and and warmth and and inclusiveness that is not present uh, in many other places where young people gather. And that inspired me to come back the next year and work every session of camp. And I've just been doing it ever since. I haven't been able to work every session, unfortunately. But it's become a really influential part of my life. And Grace has become a good friend and I've met a lot of other really close friends through not back to school camp uh, through well unschool adventures got started because grace helped us um, kind of pitch our first trip to Argentina to the not back to school camp community. Um, I've had a number of people who went there then come and work for me at uh, on my unschool adventures trips. And a lot of the people that are interviewed on this podcast are people who I met through not back to school camp or the extended community. And so it's just hard to understate how influential I feel like this community is both for myself and for uh, all the young people who get a chance to go there. And Grace Llewellyn is a difficult woman to track down. She usually denies all interview requests, but after uh, repeated hounding on my part, she finally said, okay, Blake, let's do an interview. And she said, I think it's been 10 years since the last time I did an official interview. So I feel super lucky and privileged to have Grace on the podcast, and I hope you do too. And before we get into that, uh, I'm just going to give you a quick reminder about OffTrailLearning.com, which is the companion website to this podcast. And I built this for young people who are struggling in school and are wondering why they need to be there. Uh, The bored ones, the unengaged ones, the ones that are too bright or too cool for school. And especially now it's the the back to school time. It's the fall. Uh, I want you to send any young person who you run into, whether they're age 13 or 20, to offtraillearning.com. That is my wish and my desire. And so if you run into anyone who's struggling, um, the website is there to present every good opportunity, every positive direction that you can take if you're not feeling engaged in school. And send them to the podcast too and send their parents here. Uh, that's the point of this whole project. So I, I need you. I'm asking for your help to make this possible. And if this project feels meaningful and important to you, if it feels like it's, it's providing value, uh, please consider supporting it by going to offtraillearning.com support. A quick disclaimer about this interview, Grace and I did it outside at Not Back to School Camp in Oregon, and the microphone just did not work very well, and I think it was heating up due to the sun, and so near the end, there's some weird audio artifacts. Anyways, it's not the same quality as our other interviews, but you can still hear us, and so thank you for bearing with. And now, here's Grace. I'm here with my friend Grace Llewellyn founder and director, well, as founder now, not back to...
1: Executive director.
0: Executive director <laughs> of Not Back to School Camp, and the author of many books, but most notably the Teenage Liberation Handbook. Grace?
1: I'm against detail inflation, so let me say I'm not the author of many books. I'm the author of one book, and I'm the co-author of one book, and I'm the editor of two books.
0: Very well. <laughs> Uh, welcome grace
1: uh, thank you
0: (laughs) (laughs) so we're recording here at a session of not back to school camp in 2016 might be campers or trumpets or birds or broken ankles yes first aid incidents i mean uh, we'll do our best i wanted to talk to you about the the birth and the evolution of not back to school camp because what year is it now
1: it is now 2016.
0: And what year of camp is it?
1: Oh, year 21. 21. But it's the 20th anniversary of our first year. Okay.
0: Right? Seems like a fitting time for a, yeah. a, a recap of some sort.
1: Yeah, we can drink now.
0: <laughs> the camp can drink. <laughs> we'll policy change. Um, well, let's go back to the beginning. Like, what, what stage in life were you in back when you were starting that back to school camp? And, and why did you
1: start it? Um, I was in my early 30s, and I was still feeling as much as anything like a former school teacher who really missed working directly with kids. Um, so there were two main motivations for starting it, and one was to connect. Um, I had been traveling around at that point, uh, speaking at different conferences, and I would they would usually stick me in a room with all the teens and I would just usually hear a little bit from each person about what they were doing. And so I would be in Washington and, and then I'd be in Ohio and I'd think, oh, this kid in Ohio who just biked through three states should meet that kid in Washington who just built his own bike. And so there was some of that, like wanting to bring these kids together. And then there was my personal, just uh, I'd been corresponding through old-fashioned mail with a lot of teens, but I really miss working in person with them. So it was also just a self, um, selfish pursuit too. Just wanted to work directly with kids. Hmm.
0: And why a summer camp as opposed to, you know, one of the many other ways you could have face-to-face. Right.
1: Well, I had already, I had, um, in Eugene, Oregon, where I live, I had opened a resource center for homeschoolers and, uh, for the same reasons. And, It it, there were a lot of problems with it, and um, it never really uh, kind of created a a quality. There there was never really the quality of connection or magic that I think I was seeking. I was, you know, I wanted to work with kids again, but I didn't want to replicate school, and I wanted something uh, more powerful, something that felt to me um, deserving of what I imagined unschooling. I imagine that a gathering of unschoolers just deserves something really magical that the resource center didn't do it, but there were a few moments like we had a slumber party that kind of gave me a night, a sense of what I was after. And so pretty soon it just felt like a gathering, a uh, gathering was what would do it.
0: Hmm. So, Did you go to summer camp as a child?
1: Oh, I went to church camp and I got kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, but I was also the champion Bible quizzer. Um, <laughs> For, uh, I don't want to say right now.
0: (laughs) Move along quickly. Um.
1: (laughs) But no, I mean, I wasn't really a camp person. I'd grown up camping with my family a ton. But the reason I thought of doing a summer camp was just because that's how it seemed we could inexpensively gather youth together. And I thought the idea of being outdoors together made sense. So it was the same reason people do camps, but it wasn't so much from a summer camp background Mm -hmm. unlike you Mm
0: -hmm. and you had somewhat recently self-published the teenage liberation handbook and become this this almost overnight underground hit and uh, that's how you got the speaking engagements and and, and you had a mailing list Mm -hmm. also Mm -hmm. Um, did did you were you pretty much the single handed uh, marketer Mm -hmm. and and promoter and recruiter for the first session of camp
1: yeah all i did was i that same year in the year before camp, I started a, a book catalog for unschoolers. And um, just on the back cover, I said, we're going to do a camp. So that was all I did. But I did. I rented the Growing Without Schooling ma- mailing list. It wasn't my only my own list. Yeah. yeah. That was it.
0: And how big was the first camp session?
1: There were 90 campers from all over the country. It was awesome.
0: <laughs> uh, what, what were some of the first campers like you don't have to name names but just like what was the quality of and, and the type of person who showed up to that first session of camp
1: um it was such an amazing group the uh the site managers of camp myrtlewood were struck by it and i was struck by it it was it, it was a very self-selected group of campers uh, most of them at least a lot of them majority of them had um, you know they knew who I was they'd read my book and so there was a certain shared mindset that we began with and um, oh now we have like one very well, we try to make it very tidy um, information packet that people fill out in the spring but, but back then I was inventing everything during the year so I sent out, like, four or five mailings, and then every time I sent something out, they had to send something back to me. So I kind of got to know them all before camp. And um, not really answering your question very well. A lot of them were um, passionately self-directed. Um, they came together, and they really inspired each other, um, such that one of the campers, who herself inspired other people with her dancing and her... Um, her outspoken way of being, her writing, she was so inspired by other campers that on the last night when we went around the circle and said, based on my experience here this week, I'm going to go home and do fill-in-the-blank next year, all she knew to say was that she felt really inspired by everyone else and she was going to do something big. She didn't know what it was. She figured out what it was going to be on the way, uh, on her trip home to the East Coast, and what it was, was that the next summer she would ride her bicycle from the East Coast out to Oregon, becoming the youngest woman to ever do that solo. Um, so I mean, she always stands out in my mind as a memory, partly because she's still a good friend. But that was, that was just kind of the what was in the air, was mm. we're going to do big things we're passionate about and we're going to talk with each other about them. And it's pretty great.
0: Do you feel like you were capturing this untapped potential, this kind of spirit of unschooling. And, and like, there was a lot of low hanging fruit there in the sense of like, nobody else had done this. So there's a lot of people who were really hungry for it. Oh
1: yeah. Easy. Easy. It was, it was just, it, it, uh, well, okay. As you know, putting on any kind of an event takes just crazy amounts of logistical planning and work. And that was perhaps even more true back then pre-internet um, so, in terms of the work involved, it was nothing at all easy. But in terms of bringing together a group of people that um, that made that made really powerful connections and shared all kinds of information and inspiration with each other, that just that I just had to create the container, and they came and they they made it happen. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was yeah low hanging fruit for sure,
0: and what's just a snapshot from these early camp days like workshops uh just hanging out in fields late nights
1: i remember the moment so we i I'd, I'd worked pretty hard to craft the schedule and the majority of campers had signed up to teach a workshop prior to camp so we had, and then all my staff was also teaching workshops so we had this very densely packed workshop schedule for each day like During each workshop slot, you could choose from about five or six pre-planned workshops. And I remember the moment of truth, the first day, um, the first workshop slot came, and I had just been thinking to myself, okay, well, we've planned all this. We've got it all ready, and now what's going to happen? Because we're not going to make them do anything. So are they going to just chillax in the field, which would have been fine. But I also secretly would have been kind of crushed um so the bell rang and I just sort of watched from the edge of the field while twos and threes kind of got up from the groups they were sitting in and walked to different places around the site and the majority of people went to workshops and you know they just chose to do that and then uh um, so that, that that moment, I will not forget, it was just like, yes, they really want to do it. They really want to learn from each other and, um, you know, not only have informal conversations and connections, but they also want to, like, honor the preparations that each other have put into workshops and show up and focus. And I just was um, very touched and thrilled by that moment. Another snapshot is um, most nights back then we had talent shows and, just from the get, and this is still true about camp, um, but maybe I just especially appreciated it then because it was new, was um, there we would be sitting, watching. Somebody would come up, and um, I'm thinking of one kid in particular who got out his fiddle and played professionally. Like, he was amazing. I remember my heart just kind of leaping in my chest when he played. He was just an incredible... Um musician, And so when he finished, you know, there's this moment of silence and then everybody just bursts into applause or just so moved and so excited. And then, somewhere later in that same show, like somebody gets up and they say, um, I just started tap dancing last this last year, and I've never shown anybody before. And then they do their tap dance and it's, yeah, they're a beginner and they're not very good yet. And they finish and there's this silence and then there's this bursting into applause, this thunderous (laughs) applause. And um, just, yeah, that to me, I mean, that's still true. Like we just show up and honor whoever is willing um, to put themselves out there, Mm. which isn't to say that I think. I mean, I think we can all discern the difference between a professional musician and a beginner, but there's just such a commitment, I think, to appreciating the, what goes into giving of ourselves here. And the talent shows are one way that that has always just um, manifested particularly poignantly, in mm. my opinion.
0: And talent shows feel like, you know, that's a traditional summer camp feature. What's something that perhaps from the very beginning was really different about Not Back School Camp that you feel like is more rare and hard to find in the world of you know organized youth programs that, that you wanted to offer?
1: Yeah, well, it's still I think it's still uncommon now and it was uncommon then to just create an environment where almost nothing was mandatory um, from bedtime to what you do with your time during the day. Uh, we've always had mandatory morning meetings, and soon, you know, a few years into camp, we also added evening meetings because it seemed clear that we needed to talk twice a day. But just the fact that people essentially choose what to do with the rest of their time has always, I guess, been unusual. Um, And again, that, I mean, I I make my staff lead workshops, and that's a really important, high-quality part of what we offer, but just still that campers also offer a lot of the content, and um, uh, I think that's somewhat unusual. I don't know. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I personally also think that the quality of the staff here sets us apart, but but maybe that's, in my opinion, qualitative, qualitatively <laughs> rather than just uh, you know something that in a different
0: category yeah uh, what were some of the, the outside philosophies or uh, things that you were into and that your your friends and other staff were into I i know that that radical honesty for example was not was, in the beginning not in the beginning but, yeah. but 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 was brought into camp eventually what are the, sort of the foundations of the, the not back to school yeah. camp way
1: well, you know, I, I was not raised a hippie child. But by the time I was in uh, my early 30s, I was living in Eugene, Oregon. And, um, I mean, I was a vegetarian. <laughs> we probably have the, the current camp menu to thank for the fact that at that time I was a vegetarian. Not now. Um, uh, you know, my friends and I highly valued open, honest communication. A few years later, I would um, get into a practice called radical honesty, which was a big part of my life and became part of camp culture for a while. Um, but right in the beginning, I would say kind of just the the more global, general um, commitment to the transparency, openness about feelings, uh, creating a supportive environment where people felt safe sharing. Um, their authentic selves Mm -hmm. that that was always part of the culture as well as just uh you know unschooling philosophy like I was very influenced by John Holt which anybody who's read anything I've done knows that um yeah
0: and after that first year how many of the campers came back for a second summer
1: Uh, about 60 of them did and lots of their friends so we had a waiting list that second year (laughs)
0: Not bad for a second year of a brand new camp.
1: I know. Those were the good old days.
0: (laughs) Um, And how did the camp start to evolve in the first five years or the first ten years? Did it immediately take any sharp turns?
1: No. I mean, we expanded somewhat quickly. Um, By the third year, we had two sessions, and then a couple years later, we onto the East Coast and had a waiting list there pretty quick. So there was kind of a rapid expanding. There was quickly realizing we needed a lot more staff than we started out with, things like that. But in terms of rapid, I mean, the staff culture changed uh, somewhat. Well, now I think that's a tangent I don't want to go into. Mm-hmm. No, I'm going to say we more, for the most part, we organically – um, just kept developing. Not, not too much in any big left turn kind mm-hmm, of ways. Mm-hmm.
0: What about you as the camp director? Like, what hard lessons did you learn early on?
1: Well, the first year <laughs> I learned that being a camp director means you're in charge. And I had really thought of, I'm just bringing together a group of people most of whom happened to be younger than 18 and we're all going to have this great time together. And partway through the week, I mean, we had rules from the start, but, um, but I, that wasn't, of course, why I was putting on camp. And so partway through the week, we had our first rule, break rule breaking situation, (laughs) which (laughs) um, situation, which was a group of campers going night swimming without permission. And, you know, like kind of no big deal, but it was the first time I had to sit, I, I was like, oh my God, I have to do something about this. Like, this means I have to have an interaction. And most of the interaction was me just sort of lithering on and on to them about like, no, I had to deal with this. And what was <laughs> I going to do? And um, uh, just sort of making, coming to terms with the fact that I was an authority figure. Even when I'd been a teacher, I wasn't, you know, the headmaster, or the principal. So, It was suddenly like, oh, my God, what have I done to myself? But, um, yeah, Yeah. realizing I was the the head disciplinarian was not a happy moment.
0: But did you embrace it?
1: Um, I would say that year I didn't embrace it. I'm more just like, I mean, I dealt with it. But but within a few years, actually, I did embrace it. And... um, and And in fact, I would say that's a a very strong although small part of our culture is the way that we engage with youth when they um, when they don't keep our camp agreements and I mean sometimes it's extremely time consuming, but the long conversations the um the attempt to be clear and consistent and yet also really um Engage the individual situation as an individual situation, making sure that nobody is um, shamed and yet holding them accountable. Um, and we don't, we don't generally ever say, "Now you can never come back to camp." There mm. was there was a case of theft where other people really felt threatened, and so that was different. And we told that person they couldn't come back. But mostly, it's like, okay, um, we handle this however we handle, it, and then it's done, and you are welcome back. And we've had. There was somebody I sent home who came back on junior staff, and um, I don't think I'm really explaining this very well, but just the, the quality of connection that staff has with campers who violate boundaries here, um, I think is pretty. Mm. It's a It tends to lead to growth experiences for all involved, is mm. my opinion. And that's what we hear later from campers. Mm.
0: Whereas a more typical way to do it would just be you broke the rule, you're, out of here. you're gone, and. Yeah. You're not in, invited back either, right. implicitly or explicitly. Right.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's not what we do.
0: So fast forward, we're at your 21, yeah. legal drinking yeah. age of not back to school camp. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what keeps you doing this each year? Like what keeps you in, in the game at this point?
1: Well, there are times when I think maybe I don't want to stay in the game. And I, because I've been doing it for a long time and I don't need to. Uh, the staff, yourself included, um, and Evan, who directs whenever I don't, um, often when I do also with me, uh, you know, I I don't need to be here. The camp has a life of its own, and the staff is amazing. So sometimes I think maybe it's time for me to do something else, and maybe that will still be true in a few years, but so far... um, Maybe especially when I'm doubting something will happen that reignites my desire to stay part of this event. For instance, two nights ago, we had an event where a lot of campers shared. Um, They just chose to share a totally non-pressured environment, um, some things that were going on in their lives, and there was a moment where we were all just milling around the floor uh, looking, like, making eye contact with each other without speaking. And I just felt such an appreciation welling up in me for for these people and the willingness that campers bring, um, the willingness that staff brings to just show up and uh, really be themselves here. Mm. Um, it moves me. And so, yeah, I think it's just about the the quality of openness and connection and, I would say, healthy risk-taking that happens here um, that continues to feel fresh to
0: me. And I saw the, the glowing smile on your face when I was asking about the first cohort of not-back-to-school campers. And it just sounds like you were, you know, each of their number one fans. You were just so in love with them. Mm-hmm. And um, talk, talk how is the, the camper demographic, the, the group of young people who come here, how has that been evolving over these 20 years and, and what keeps you, you know, still in love with them or, or to mm-hmm. what extent is that true?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's still just a truly amazing group of campers that come year after year. Um, you know, egocentrically in the beginning, I was a little bit more the middle of it. I was kind of a, personally a hub or my work had been a little bit of a magnet for them. Um, that's less true now. I think a lot of them really are completely not familiar with my work and that's okay. So there's um but that doesn't mean that they're a different type of person. I mean unschooling maybe as a as a movement and the people who are drawn to unschooling continues to shift and evolve. And I'm not sure I have but any um clearer perspective on that than anybody else does. So I don't think I want to venture any uh overarching comments about that. Um You know, now it's more word of mouth. Uh, People hear about it from their friends. Uh, Sometimes people who go to school say, I want to come because I hear this is this great social gathering. So, um,
0: (laughs) um, my advisory group has, I I pulled them all on their educational backgrounds, and each one is either in school to some degree or or has been recently. Mm -hmm. And so it definitely doesn't feel like a camp only for unschoolers at this point.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. But there's the, the. I feel like the camp culture itself is a powerful thing. Like we all live our lives however we live them year round and whatever this quality of openness and passion is that we demonstrate while we're here at camp, you know, we, we exhibit that to some degree during our year. We come together and we kind of know that's why we're coming together. And so we turn it on blast mm-hmm. and the danger there is that an individual can look around at all the other people and say oh look at all these self-actualized, passionate people, unlike me not realizing that they are in fact part of what everybody else is looking at when they say the same thing to themselves so um, I lost my train oh sorry, tapping <laughs> on the table <laughs> Um yeah, I, I, what, I forgot. Yeah, what, what keeps so.
0: you in, in love with, with this group that you serve? What keeps you coming back to work with them as opposed to working with adults, yeah. to working with you know, people that have fewer logistical needs, perhaps?
1: Right. Oh, I'm sure it's a little bit my personal story, meaning that when I was a teenager, I, you know, I, as many do, I felt... I had experiences where I felt like I started to understand who I was and what was possible in life. So I still resonate with that time of life and I see that kind of emergence of awakening in a lot of people in this age group. So I, I still really like working with teens. I do think about working with adults. I mean, I'm 52 Am I look ahead a lot now, and I wonder, I wonder what aspects of what we do would benefit older adults, um, and I mean older mm-hmm. than me, mm-hmm. I don't mean that I would necessarily be the person to be leading a group of people who's older than me, but, but I'm interested in the different stages of life, how can we, we, how can we begin again in our lives, um, yeah, at different stages. So I love working with this demographic and it doesn't mean that I always
0: will. Seems like a good closing point. Thanks for talking with me, Grace.
1: Thank you, Blake.
0: <laughs> if you enjoyed this ad free podcast, there are many ways you can support it. You can leave a review on iTunes. You can share it on social media with your friends. You can whisper uh, stories of this podcast to a squirrel. And hope that that squirrel tells other squirrels. And that it goes viral through the squirrel community. And eventually, millions of years later, the squirrels evolve into having conscious thought and language. And then it's, uh, you know, the seed is deeply planted. It's essentially a religion for them at this point. You can also email this episode to someone who might benefit from it. Or you can support it directly at offtraillearning.com support.